Good morning, River Park Church. This morning, I am excited to continue our series on unity, uh, albeit from home. I was sick this past week. I got a positive test for COVID on Monday, and I did not want to share that with you. But I did want to share with you God's word from Luke chapter 18 and 19, and also a few reflections on it. This morning, we're doing something slightly different. I'm inviting you to experience a rabbinical style of teaching called Threading Pearls. This kind of episodic storytelling is uh, an encouragement or an invitation for you to hear several different and probably seemingly unrelated stories or anecdotes, and then to put them to you to ponder, to find the thread that connects all of these different pearls. I know it's a somewhat unfamiliar style, and so I want to be obvious and straightforward about it as we get started. Do you see what I'm doing? Do you see where this is building? Well, let's get into it with the first few pearls from Luke chapter 18 and 19. Jesus continuing his ministry, and a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not murder. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. And then we continue just a few verses beyond. When Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, a man, there, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short and could not see over the crowd, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When he reached the spot, he looked up. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So far the reading of God's word. Sarah Fillier, a name a few of you might know. Sarah didn't make Team Canada in 2018 when the Canadian women's hockey team lost in the final and took home silver. Sarah wasn't even invited to try out. But at 2 a.m. in Georgetown, Ontario, Sarah, in 2018, Sarah was 17 and living at home before she was going to head to Princeton University in the fall. In the moments after Team Canada's loss, Sarah told her parents that she would make sure things were different four years later. Great effort from the top line again. Nearly eight minutes gone in the first period. One of the Canada. That wrist shot scores! What a rip! Top corner. She's doubled down. Sarah Fillier, two in the period. Welcome to the Olympics. In an interview, Sarah said, Sarah Fillier said, I've been writing 2022 on the bottom of my stick for four years now. And to finally say you make the team is really special. Sarah's dedication, four years of sweat, of training, of working through doubt, four years of writing 2022 on the bottom of her hockey sticks, four years of late practices, prioritizing hockey over other pursuits, these are all worth it as Sarah and the Canadian women won hockey gold this past week. Her complete dedication paid off, not only into making the team, but even winning gold. I wonder what she'll dedicate herself to next. Four years is a long time. After all, or for that matter, I, I wonder what you and I will dedicate ourselves to. What about the rich young ruler? What about Zacchaeus? This past winter, I was reading two books at the same time. One was called Reparations, a call for repair, repayment, and restoration for black Americans for the centuries of theft from them. The authors of the book talk about how racism harms black property, black reputations, and most of all, black bodies. For them, the book took racism from a conceptual level and made it painfully physical. It was powerful to read. At the same time, I was reading Sun Chen Ra's book on Lamentations. In this book, Sun Chen Ra talks about how urban ministry focused on the city has all too often focused on it as an abstraction. I blushed as Sun Chen Ra referenced how many white preachers quote Jeremiah 31, seek the peace of the city, but don't recognize that Christ is already in the city because they don't know or love real flesh and blood people there. I share this because in our scripture reading today, two of the two men, one of them sees the call of Jesus as an abstraction and he walks away. The other sees Jesus' call in a real and physical way and he immediately responds. Here's another story. Mark Sayers is an Australian pastor who writes about the church and culture. 
He's written a lot about relevance, which I think is, well, relevant here. This is what he says. For much of the last 20 years, a large segment of the church has, in the West has taken a position of repentance for its past sins. It has been concerned about how it has appeared, exclusive, intolerant, closed-minded, judgmental. It has worried about how it has pushed its values on other cultures, told, not listened, lectured, not conversed. Thus, within Christianity in the West, a whole new posture has emerged, one that attempts to be more inclusive, more conversant, more tolerant. Much of this has been good. Yet the move has occurred simultaneously with the culture becoming more prepared to condemn, to judge, and to speak in the language of right and wrong. Sayers says that churches who prioritize relevance become flash mob churches, his words. They're able to gather a huge crowd, but they quickly experience huge turnover and people disappear. This has not been River Park's goal, nor has it been our strategy. Why? Because we're not pursuing relevance. We're pursuing Jesus. Sayers continues, The pursuit of relevance seems helpless in the face of a new, disengaged mode of attending church. One could wonder if our relevance is making the problem worse. Sayers' point here is that if we pursue relevance, we will never be able to keep up. It's not that we shouldn't be apologizing for the sins and the wrongness of the past. It's that we should be doing the right thing and doing it for the right reason. You see, we don't exist, uh, or, or excuse me, please don't hear me say, as some say, that the church is measuring itself against the world. That kind of critique misses the reality here. We don't exist outside or apart from the world. We don't exist as an abstraction called the church in some kind of relationship with an, another abstraction called culture. We are real people with real struggles who every day look to compare ourselves to someone else, often multiple someone else's, in order to better understand our place and role in society and our families and in the family of God. The rich young ruler enjoyed his wealth not just as wealth, but as wealth in comparison with others. Jesus told him to give his money to the poor. The effect of that is that he would lose the thing that allowed him to win every time he looked at others. The rich young ruler was stuck pursuing, pursuing relevance. Not relevance as we normally think about it, but relevance is about coming out of an interaction with others in which they take notice of us. We might be doing the right thing in interacting with others, but our focus, our way, is wrong if our goal is that others would take notice of us. The rich young ruler didn't just need wealth, he needed the general public to recognize his wealth, to recognize his goodness. That's why he comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, and why he proudly proclaims that he has kept all the commandments. But Jesus 
is not interested in relevance. Jesus allows this rich man to walk away because Jesus is not interested in relevance in the abstract. Jesus has real people, a real place, and a real vision on his heart. Perhaps you haven't thought about it this way, but Zacchaeus was a rich man too. In fact, Luke says that he was incredibly wealthy. He was easily part of the 1%. As a tax collector, he had a life of wealth, but also a life of power. In fact, there was only one difference between Zacchaeus and the rich young man whose name we will never learn. Zacchaeus thought that the name of Jesus sounded beautiful. Jesus, Zacchaeus thought that the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, looked beautiful. Zacchaeus was so captured by this vision that he didn't want only to be a passive observer of it, taking in the sights and sounds. Zacchaeus wanted to give his whole life to Jesus. No limits, no hesitation, no backtracking. And look how great his joy was. Christians in the second century after Christ knew the joy of Zacchaeus and the joy of Jesus. They lived during the Antonine Plague, which it's estimated killed between 5 and 10 million people, about 10% of the entire population of the Roman Empire. People were coughing, sick, and dying. They were contagious, and whole towns were quarantined, left to die. But Christians went into the towns that Roman guards, doctors, and citizens abandoned and quarantined for death. Christians died voluntarily serving their neighbors in love, contracting the diseases of those they cared for. Why? Because they knew that God was with them. They knew the joy of God's kingdom, and they wanted to bring the presence of God and the joy of Jesus with them to those who were sick and dying, and alone. Closer to our own time, a Christian named Takashi Nagai survived the bombing of Nagasaki in 1945. He stayed in the city that was his home despite severe injury. He rescued survivors. He did scientific research. He provided medical attention to those who, like himself, were sick from radiation poisoning and its later effects. Takashi Nagai died eight years later from leukemia at the age of 43. He spent his last years laying on a mat, offering wisdom to those who came to visit him. Why? Takashi Nagai believed that God was with him. He experienced the love of God the joy of God's kingdom, and he desired that in him the presence of God would remain with the people that he loved in the place that was his home, even during nuclear fallout. Last week at Roy's baptism, I referenced the Great Commission, Jesus' call to make disciples and baptize them. Jenny Allen, a great teacher and author, summarizes the Great Commission this way. She says, Because you have been with Jesus, go be with people. 
so that they can be with Jesus. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, is that what drives you? To be with Jesus. To let others be with Jesus. Too often we have this picture of giving your whole life to Jesus as some sort of painful sacrifice for a special few, suffering nearly without end, or or some professional responsibility given to, to ministers, to Christian missionaries, and maybe even Christian school teachers. But the people who have given their lives to Jesus, those who have suffered even, They've never seen it that way. They've known and lived the truth of Jenny's words. They've given their whole selves to Jesus, then even though they've suffered, even though they've been in difficult situations, they have been repaid, as Jesus said to Zacchaeus, in a far greater way. Not only in this life, filled with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, to name a few, but also in the age to come. All these individual stories are powerful to me. They are pearls. And they're beautiful and interesting to to look at just one after another. But again, as we string some of these together this morning, I invite you to wonder, as I wonder, what this means for me, what it means for you. So as we begin to close, let me ask you, even as I ask myself, do you want more of Jesus? Do you work for more of Jesus in your home? Do you hope for more of Jesus in your life? Not in some abstract hope, but do you actually want to experience Jesus as you sit in the chair you sit in now with the aches and the distractions and the challenges that you have now? Do you want him here and now? Over the past few years, I've been more and more captivated by 2 Corinthians chapter 4, specifically verses 7 to 11. It starts out with words probably many of you have heard. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then it continues. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Powerful, motivating words. But it ends in a way that might surprise you. In a way that's often not quoted with the rest. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus Christ, so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I'm preaching from home this week because, as I said earlier this week, I tested positive for COVID. 
And even these last few days, I've gotten to taste personally a little bit of the death at work in all of us. The virus that has brought physical death to many thousands in Canada and around the world. That has brought emotional trauma to tens of thousands more. Relational death brought on by radically different approaches to the virus and reactions to government mandates. Death of trust. Death of confidence. Death even of hope. Death is always at work in us. Even in me. I got nothing done this week apart from putting this sermon together. I laid in bed for almost three days, first coughing and then just exhausted. Even now, I can't wait for this to be over, to go and rest and recover. But something else died in me this week too. The abstract idea that Jesus needs me to keep our community happy and united, as if somehow I could actually do that. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm not unhappy. I'm certainly not planning to go anywhere. I won't be leaving my home for a few days more, but more than that, Kaylee and I are very happy at River Park Church. This week, as I laid sick, ministry continued. The Holy Spirit ministered to God's people. Our council met. Pastor Harry offered to lead communion, since I can't be there in person. I am not so proud as to think that all of you are putting your hope in me. Instead, I say all this to illustrate how wherever God has placed us, we can tend to put too much confidence in ourselves or in others because we lose sight of our main goal of Jesus Christ with us in a real way now. That's what brings unity. Scripture offers one solution. That River Park Church needs Jesus and more of Jesus. That our best is to offer everything we are and everything we have to him. To hold it up to him. Not because he needs our best and our worst, but because he desires all of who we are. River Park Church needs Jesus. Adrian needs Jesus. All of us need Jesus. We are desperate for him. We celebrate that when we come to the end of ourselves in physical and emotional, in psychological and relational ways, when we come to the end of our energy, when we come to the end of our hope, when we are hard-pressed, when we are perplexed, when we are struck down, we celebrate that Jesus is there with us. He is there waiting for us. Not because he wants what we can give him, but because he wants us. Jesus invites you because he wants all of you. And he asks you to give everything to him to be emptied, not because he needs all of you, but because he wants to fill you with all of him. We will have 
unity when we give Jesus everything. If I give Jesus everything, if you give Jesus everything, then there can be nothing between us. We've given it all to our Lord. And if I were there in person right now, if I were in your home with you right now, those of you on Zoom, I know that your hearts would be beginning to be moved. You're saying to yourself, I do want some of Jesus. I do want more of him than I have in my life right now. Well, don't wait. Don't walk off the call and wait to give him everything. Don't check out five minutes from now and say, oh, well, that was fine. On to the next thing. Don't get distracted by something else going on in your world. Hear the word of the Lord. Respond in faith. Give yourself to Jesus, your whole self. Let's do it together now. Please pray with me. Father God, as we string together a few stories this morning of reactions to you, we recognize, Lord, that there are many more stories that have not been heard nor shared except with you. God, meet us in this moment, not in the abstraction of our thoughts, of possibilities, or of imagined futures. Meet us in the physical reality of this moment. Sit with us as we sit in the chair where we are. Embrace us, Holy Spirit. Fill us with your love. And having spent this time with you, send us out joyfully, so that those we meet, those we love, those we see, those we care for, that they might be with you too. You are the only one who can bring unity to your church, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And so we put our hope in you. And it's in your name, Jesus Christ, we pray and offer this up to our Heavenly Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now we have the joy of experiencing God's presence with us in communion.